Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to another episode of Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker. And Heather, we've got a guest not in studio with us. We're all on the telephone, but who are we talking to and what are we talking about? We are talking to the author of the book called Parents Speak and um, Jennifer, Jennifer Lair. Am I saying your name right? Uh, it's officially pr- pronounced Lear, but it looks right. like Lear, L-E-H-R. Right. Okay, so Jennifer Lear, and we're excited because she has so many um, ideas of, of things not to say or things that we kind of slip into and parents speak and ideas that um, of ways we can do it differently. And I would say I got a... Um, a sneak peek at an early copy of her book that a lot of Jennifer's ideas really match up nicely with renegade rules ideas. So if if you're already interested in these topics, uh, I think she's going to add a a new way of looking at some of them, and it all supports um, child development. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, and I love your work, Heather, and was delighted to read your book and find a very like-minded thinker. Good. And you know what I like about yours? Here's Mutual Admiration Club going on. <laughs> but uh, it's just one more way to get the message out. So for ex- the way that you're structuring your book, Parents Speak, and I'll read the subtitle, What's Wrong with How We Talk to chi- Our Children and What to Say Instead, it, it's just one more way of here's the common things we say, and let's think about this, folks, and how did we slip into saying these things all the time, and what do they really do to kids when they hear these messages like, good job, or who's my big boy, or can you say thank you, and behave yourself, all these sorts of things that we just seem to, I don't know, pick up like it's breathing in the atmosphere. Yeah, it's interesting because most of us, before we had children, never said these phrases, and then it's all of a sudden you have a child and you just start speaking in this way that you really never spoke before. Right. And it is. It's like it's in the ether. And it's almost like you can't help but speak it. But so we kind of acquired this way of talking to our kids, but without really thinking about what it is we're saying, why we're saying it, and how they're hearing it. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey on this? And did you find yourself slipping into the parent speak yourself and it bothered you? How did you come to this, this place of writing this book? I, it, it really started when I was uh, nine months pregnant. Somebody left on my doorstep, a friend left a VHS tape of a video called Sing, um, oh, I want to say the name right, it, uh, Sing Children with New Eyes or Sing Infants with New Eyes, something like that. And it was about the work of Magda Gerber. I don't know if you are familiar with her work. She's uh, a Hungarian woman no longer alive, and she she brought this uh, idea of really respecting children 
raising children, babies with respect from the moment they're born. And I popped this video in and I thought, gosh, why wouldn't you raise a baby with respect? It, it didn't register to me and I didn't really think much of it until I got to this one scene in the film of this man holding a baby and trying desperately to make the child laugh, making faces, throwing him up in the air. And then the camera switched to the child's point of view, and you saw like this um, crazy faces and the camera going up and down as the child's being thrown. And kind of in that moment, I think something really sunk in for me of what is the child's perspective on, on everything. And I... And that just was in the back of my mind. And then once I had my daughter, Jules, and eventually started going out into the world, going to the park every day and going to the market and the pediatrician's office, I really, I think because of that film was maybe in my own experience, but very sensitive to how children were responding to adults. And I began to notice that parents, spoke to children differently, and they used these same phrases over and over again. Good job. Oh, my God, you're so cute. Who's my big boy? A child would fall. Come on, brush it off. You're okay. And do you want a timeout? And it got to the point where I could literally guess when a, how an adult was going to respond before they said something. And it kind of felt like nine times out of ten I was right. And then I was really focusing on the child and how they were taking it in. And it really seemed to me to be like this cross wires. The adults were very well-meaning. They wanted to be encouraging and supportive and help instill manners and self-control. But it just seemed something was off. And in my head, I started to deconstruct it. I was like, is telling a child to share really the best way to cultivate generosity? And it didn't seem like it was working the way adults really wanted it to. And then it just got to be too much for me to um, think about in my head just all the time. So I started writing because I'm a writer. So and I wanted to figure it out. And I did what I always do is just started writing about it. And I kept a list of things that I thought were parents speak that kind of qualified as parents speak. And I did my best to kind of deconstruct it. And it really took 10 years for the book to come out from the from my first, you know, file on share. Sharing was my first one, which I know speaks to you. And 10 years later, my book came out. And, and so you spent 10 <laughs> years... A long, long, long way of saying. You spent 10 years lurking on playgrounds, listening to parents talk, and, 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 and I, I, I think that's delightful. And, and not just that. I did, I did take a number of classes uh-huh. um, based on the work of... Um, Marshall Rosenberg, who started nonviolent nonviolent communication, the work of Thomas Gordon, Dr. Mm-hmm. Thomas Gordon, a psychologist who um, his method is parent effectiveness training, and also both of them were students of Carl Rogers, who was the humanistic psychologist of the 20th century, kind of started that field of psychology. So kind of that's where the thinking comes from, but yeah. also the work of Magda Gerber, as I said, and then read tons of books and went to tons of um, talks. Yeah, there, there's so much of this language we would never use with peers, but it's okay with kids. Exactly. You know, uh, we just celebrated Passover in my family the last two nights, and my daughter went to my mom's house to cook with my aunt and my 
um, mother and very well-meaning, and they had a great time, and she cooked for two days. And I said, how was it? She said it was fun, but every time I did something, they said, good job, you're such a good girl, and what a good cook. And she said, they would never say that to each other. Can't we just cook together? My daughter's 11. She's just like, let's just cook. You don't have to say everything I'm doing is good to make me feel good about what I'm doing and being here. That's and awesome. my son chimed in and he said, yeah, would they say that to each other? No. <laughs> right. And that gets also to the um, what you started with, the idea of respecting kids from birth, that, that kids understand respect. And, and respect is not always what adults think it might be. Um, we almost come up with different rules for showing respect for children. Um, and that's not often what kids need. They, they want a more real reaction from us. Um, I had two grandmothers. Well, a lot of people do. But I had two grandmothers who were quite different. And one of them... Um, Rarely, maybe twice in my life, I think she might have actually praised me. Um, and those were just, um, I knew she listened to me a lot. She observed, she paid attention, she had deep conversations with me. But the other one lavished the good jobs. And I knew which one was empty in her words and which one had deep value in what she said. So, you know, kids can pick this up very, very young. Yeah. Yes, they do. And they, um, if it's all they know, it may not be as clear to them. You had two grandmas that you could kind of compare and contrast. And um, if you're surrounded just by that kind of empty, continuous praise, it can be harder to discern really what's happening. But you may, you feel it, but you can't place it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to dive into some of your particular um parents speak words, and one of them is um, behave yourself, which is interesting because we all behave constantly, um, I suppose, except when we're asleep, but even our sleep may have some behaviors in it, you know, restless or, <laughs> or a deep sleep. So we're behaving constantly, and I think it's quite confusing for kids when we ask them to behave um, behavior may not be the kind that we enjoy seeing, but a child is always behaving. Exactly. Um, one of the words that I think is most confusing is, and, and largely associated with children, is misbehaving. When we say behave yourself, we're, we're basically saying stop misbehaving, stop behaving in a way we don't like. Um, and this concept of behavior as communication was very um, paradigm shifting for me. And I don't know how much to get into it here, but, um, and even most psychologists and whose work I really respect and whose approach I truly admire still use the word misbehavior. And I think it's, um, childish in the way that it's anti-child because we usually only use it. You don't say my husband misbehaved at the table yesterday, but you would say a child misbehaved. And that means they acted in a way that we didn't like. And that's very subjective. I might be very comfortable with a child screaming in the house and you might not like it. It doesn't mean the child's misbehaving. Everybody has different um, comfort levels. But what's really was revelatory for me was this idea is that behavior is a form of communication. When children are born, they 
speak a language of behavior. And as our caregivers, we do our best to understand that behavior. So they cry, they make, you know, purse their lips, they reach out, and we are deciphering that behavior. Are they hungry? Do they want to be held? Uh, maybe both. But they use their behavior to communicate their needs. And for our life, the life of a human being, we never stop speaking behavior, even as we acquire language. And we use our behavior to meet our needs. So if a child is melting down and screaming and crying, they may be um, tired and needing to sleep. Uh, or they may be trying to stand up for themselves. Or they're, they, they're doing the best they can with the tools they have at that time in their life and their cognitive development to communicate their needs and to get the needs and to meet their needs. And I don't know how clear I'm being, but it's a, it's a simple and profound concept that once you get it, there is no bad behavior. You can't misbehave because behavior is always accurate. It is an accurate reflection of what the person needs and their best attempt to meet it. And I think as, as, as adults, sometimes we have a hard time picking up on those signals and seeing that the way children are behaving are actually tools for us. They're in, it's like a, it's like a, the speedometer on your on your vehicle. You're you're getting valuable information there that you can you can use to to help your help navigate your way through that situation if you choose to step back and and see it as something other than that child just trying to you think they're trying to upset you or get under your skin when they're really they're really trying to send you a message. Exactly. Right. And they may they may not know what the message is they're trying to send. I think a lot of times we adults slip into thinking that they're trying to do this or they're kind of doing this misbehavior on purpose. But they're expressing a need. They may not be expressing it in the in the most logical or appropriate way, but it is an indication of a need. Yeah. And just as an example of this, I was watching some children play and uh, about there are about four or five of them and they they wanted to play and involved a ball. And one of the kids um, took the ball and hugged it and, you know, hugged it for a while. And everybody else wanted the ball to get back in the game so that they can continue their imaginary play. And they were tr all the kids were trying um, to convince the child holding the ball to, to, to get her to give it up so that they could go on with what they were doing. And she just shook her head and kept holding it and kept holding it and held it for about two hours. And the rest of the kids managed to make their game different, so they didn't need the ball anymore. But her, one of the moms watching said, wow, you know, she just, um, you're putting all this kind of misbehavior language on it. And it really struck me that it was her need to control, to control that ball was greater than her need to join in the game. Mm -hmm. They were trying to involve her. need for autonomy. Yeah, but she did not have a pressing need to be part of the group at that point. Her need right. was for control, and she found a way to meet her need. It didn't completely please everybody, but it was a signal of what was most pressing and most important to her at that point. And so it wasn't good, it wasn't bad. It was just she found a way to meet her needs. Exactly. And um, an example that I always use, because it was so powerful for me, was I had a friend who had two children and a baby and a toddler, and every morning when they went to the breakfast table, the two-year-old stood up on the table and shook the chandelier. And no matter what 
the father did, he could not stop the child from doing it. He'd take him off the table. You can't have your feet on the table. You're going to break the chandelier. You have to sit down. And he thought he would get worn out by being taken off, taken off. He got so frustrated and he yelled at him. And even that did nothing. And so when he thought about what was the need, he realized the child felt left out. For two years, he had his father's undivided attention at breakfast every morning. And now he was feeding his brother, and he felt left out, and he had a need to feel included. And once he said to his son, would you like to feed your brother? He got right off the table, and there was never a problem again. (laughs) He wasn't misbehaving. He was trying to meet his need for attention and inclusion. Right, and attention getting is a big one. Yep. For for misbehavior, getting any attention possible, whether it's good or bad attention, yeah. So that that's that's a big one, and it never seems to come out. We don't go around telling our friends to be well. Sometimes we might, but <laughs> to behave when we see them. But as soon as a, a young child enters our life, it seems as if the adults just slip into that kind of speech. What are some of the um, what favorite ones that you have, Jennifer, that really strike you as if, if only people could understand this one, life would be so much better in families and the kids would just have a, a more respectful um, time interacting with their parents? Gosh, that's so hard <laughs> to answer that question. Um, definitely what we just mentioned, this idea of behavior as a form of communication and and not to be um, punished or changed, but to be understood and then problem solved. Um, but also this idea, I mean, this is a big one that is be careful all the time. It, the larger picture is the mar- micromanaging of children, just um, not trusting them, not trusting them to know their bodies, to know their limits, and... Um, and really, that's what it comes down to is trusting kids. Mm-hmm. I think since we fundamentally, are, are, maybe our fear takes over. We're afraid they're going to get hurt. We're going to afraid they're not going to have as much fun. But we, the, the constant direction of children, don't you want to play this? Don't you want to go there? And just not letting them be and play mm-hmm. is, is, is a really a big one. Um, and then also, I mean... I don't know if this would change people's entire life, but this idea of rushing kids along when I have the chapter, who's my big boy or who's my big girl, we're so concerned with getting them onto the next step, getting them out of diapers, getting them out of training wheels, into the big boy bed. And we, we want them to accomplish so much so fast on our own timeline without trusting them and when they're ready and then we want to put the brakes on, like they're too young for that movie or staying out that late or, you know, it's like we, um, we're never satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. Hurry up and wait. Um, right. So, so much of it is respecting the child and their point of view and their really respecting them and trusting them. And it's so hard for us to do. It really is. We're, we're so guided by fear, myself included. I mean, you know, I wrote this book for the number one reader is myself. So I know what I thought and what what my goals were, what I was striving for. I love that. Hey, time to wrap up this episode, but we'll be back with more Jennifer talking about how parents speak in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.
Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.